This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that, or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. And you can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh he No! Hello, welcome back to Quickly Kevin. Will he score? I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And this intro comes courtesy of Richard Hodges, who says, Mark Haightley, this will go down greatly. It's Michael Marden. Hello. I'd like to, I'd like to interview Mark Haightley, um, and I'm probably on this of all of my uh, things. Um, <laughs> Last leg. But, yeah, oh, I, I don't know if you'd get that past the channel as a, as a booking that they'd consider Friday night worthy. I, w- I wonder if at any point Mark Haightley would have demanded a Friday night uh, prime time chat show appearance. Maybe in the late, maybe when he was at Milan. I could but, see him. Um, I could see him on You Bet. Yeah, yeah, I could see oh, him. Wogan. I, I can't see him on Wogan. I don't think Mark Haightley's a big enough name, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Mark Haightley. No, I don't. I'm sorry, but his career is incredible, and he was a much bigger deal than I realised at the time. If that makes sense, he was. He was at the. He was a big part of the uh, World Cup in 1986. He was an incredible striker for Rangers and he played three years at AC Milan to move from Portsmouth to AC Milan it's an incredible <laughs> thing that is a journey iconic hair as well his hair is fantastic do you want to hear some details of his Wikipedia so he moved to Milan for £1 million scored the winner in the Milan derby the first time Milan had beaten Inter in six years uh, Ayrton Senna lived in the apartment below him and Boris Becker lived next door during his time in Milan like Stella Street Senna played five-a-side football with Haley. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? I'm always interested when you go abroad and you speak to sort of Italians or Spanish, like their relationship. They always with... bring up Mark Haley, don't they? They always bring him <laughs> so up. So boring. It's actually, Ray Wilkins is their sort of idol. Really? They, they really? absolutely love Ray Wilkins, yeah. Do they? But I'm always, I've always wanted to speak to a native uh, Spanish football fan about you know, Jonathan Woodgate and players like that that moved yeah. over. What's your relationship with them? You know, are they cult figures there? Do you like them? Like, or is there any kind of like lingering memory of their time there? Yeah. This is a good yeah, w- thing for the audience to contact us about. Are you a foreign fan who loves a random English player because of their time yeah. with your club? I, I would love to hear anyone who's Italian and got Dorigo on the back of their Torino shirt, I think it is. Um... Do you want some some great? This is a great Wikipedia. He's he signed for Monaco from Milan. He was the first signing for the club by which manager? Arsene Wenger. Arsene yeah, Wenger. Yeah. And then he moved to Rangers for a million pounds, taking an eighty percent reduction compared to his pay at Milan. That he, he does not feel like a Wenger-esque signing, does he? I think he was better than 
I just think we've got such a bad view of him because he was he was old. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. By the time he came onto our radar, I think we really could do with uh, interviewing uh, Mark Haley. If anyone's got a contact, with him. <laughs> he played for the Detroit Express in 1984 and uh, 1980 as well. Anyway, should we get on with the show? Let's get on with it. We've got some uh, we've got some correspondence. Here it is. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Postbag. You've got mail. This is a fantastic email. Thank you so much okay. to James, James Clegg to send it, for sending this in. There are several facts about the, this man, this 90s footballing legend, this USA 94 legend, that I didn't know. But do you want to hear okay. a, a track from one of the eight studio albums this man has released? Yeah. Here we go. Can I just stop you? I've got something insane to say about Mark Haightley. <laughs> <laughs> what year do you think Mark Haightley's last England appearance was? It was 92. No. I had no idea. So why wasn't he in the squad for Italian United? We need to find out more about Mark Haightley. Let's get Mark Haightley on. We know Trevor Stevens. Let's get Mark Haightley on. Trevor First Stephen. question. Why didn't you go to Italian 90? <laughs> Do you know why I would have taken Mark Haightley to Italian 90? Because you need a big man when the chips are down, heading into penalties. Yeah, right. Well, that's that's the nightmare, isn't it? You managing us at Italian 90. <laughs> right, anyway, let's move on. James Clegg sent this in. USA 94 legend. Eight studio albums, all of which are available on Spotify. Do you want to hear uh, his most listened to song? I'll just tell you, this guy yeah. gets 219 monthly listens. It's about to go to 220. I think Here I we know go. who it is. That help? Let me have a guess. Is it Alexi Lalas? Yes. Do you know this? We, we, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, he's most famously a sort of musical footballer. What? I don't think I never knew this. But you, you didn't um, know this. I, I don't think I knew that he was like eight studio albums. And and Jen, what? It's covers. Does a lot of covers. Yeah. So that's a cover of Crash, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, Alexi, I don't, I can't believe you didn't know this, guy. I don't know, I don't think I realised, I mean, he looks like a, a rock and roll guy. That was his thing. <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know his thing. There's a bunch of, let me tell let me ask if you know this, more Alexi Lalas facts. Did you know he's six foot three? That's not an interesting Okay, well, I've got this more, is, this hang is on, absolutely, hang on, there's more. He's a centre back, he's six foot three. <laughs> Did what did you could I just ask a question what did you think he was famous for playing for America at USA 94 he's a musical footballer <laughs> I've got more I've got more facts Alexi Lalas facts okay okay when do you think he signed his first professional contract mid 80s after USA 94 oh that is a good fact that is a good fact. He didn't sign, he yeah. didn't become a professional footballer with a contract until after USA 94 wow. when he signed for Padova. And then, that is amazing. even more astonishing, he was signed by the MLS after one season in, in yeah. the Serie A, but then immediately loaned back to Padova as MLS had no teams in existence yet. What? So they've just signed him So if you have a look on Alexi Lalas's uh, Wikipedia, you'll see he signed for yeah. Padova in 94 for the 94-95 season, signed for MLS in the 95-96 season, but then had to go back to Padova because there was no clubs for him. Oh, my God. And eventually in 96 joins the New England Revolution. Yes, of course he does. I'm glad of all those wow. Alexi Lalas facts. Some landed. Yeah. I mean, I'd say you've got, you've led in the wrong order. <laughs> six foot three, six foot three felt a panicked move. What? How tall did you think Alexi Lalas was? He doesn't look like a tall Joe. Like I don't don't think of him as that tall. Do you know what his second album's called? No, Ginger. There we yes, go. please. Own it. Yeah. Own it. I'd just give you an idea of how much him being a musician cut through. Matthew Crosby, my friend, who knows nothing about football. One of the few people he knows from football is Alexi Lalas because he knows that he's a musical footballer. That's mad. I can't believe I didn't, it wasn't on what my radar. What a blind spot. What a blind what spot. What a blind spot. How would you know that? How would you have picked that up in the night? I don't know where... Because it's what, a fact. What, where, what medium are you getting that information through? I don't know when... It wouldn't be football focus or... What? That Alexi Lalas plays music? Yeah. Anything containing Alexi Lalas would mention it. <laughs> What, Michael, Michael, back me up it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I back you up. Immediately, I knew who you were talking about. The moment you went to your phone, I, I've, I've, I've got a fact here from his Wikipedia that I think is worth, worth sharing. I said, did you know he was ginger? 
Skull, could you also just withdraw when you said this is an incredible email? Can you just withdraw that bit from the- <laughs> So this this is a fun fact. Uh, on June the 11th, 1995, Lalas flew directly from a relegation playoff game with his club team Padova in order to appear in the second half of a 1995 US Cup victory over Nigeria. Oh, wow. He got there, and he's so important to the team, they've let him come on for the second half. Wow. That's insane. That's incredible. Because he's a defender. It's not like a striker where you go, we'll throw him on and try and... <laughs> yeah, you, to you win go, the game. Let's throw on a jet-lagged defender <laughs> who hasn't watched the first half. Um... Can I just say, I feel like this could be a new feature because there's so many rich, interesting Alexi Lalas facts that have come out of this email that really stirred no, something. And I think, some you know, that I wouldn't say are rich. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we, the, if we put the quickly Kevin hive mind to this, we could generate even more interesting Alexi Lalas facts and this yeah. could become a regular feature. Okay, go, go for it. Yeah. Hello at quicklykevin.com and then hopefully Michael will knock up a jingle. Can I just say... I've enjoyed this episode, and I think we've done a good job so far. But so far, we've just read out the Wikipedias of two players <laughs> we're not that familiar with. Um, do you want a fun, fun little email from... Um, well, I just, you're, you're nervous about it now, <laughs> in case we know it. Uh, this is from Alex. He says, Aim Jack... Aim a Jack... Oh, God. I can never... Repl- how do you pronounce Aim Jack? Yeah, how do you pronounce that? Bloody hell. It's uh, like we've never watched this game. We don't know anything about 90s football. If this was your first episode, you'd be going, who the fuck are these three chances? <laughs> Aim Jack A. Aim Jack A? Amy, 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 Amy Jacke, Amy Jacke. Well, this I'd email say. from Alex said your reference recently to Amy Jacke, and it got me pondering about the former France manager's name. With my limited knowledge of French, it struck me that the literal <laughs> translation of his first name is loved, and the literal translation of his surname in French, Jacke, is backgammon, which means his name is loved backgammon, which sounds loved like a glorious champ manager region. Any more translations? Let keep them coming. I've got another Alexi Lalas fact. <laughs> This is a good one. I think you'll both like this. Lalas played in a band named The Gypsies, who opened for which American band during a European tour in 1998? Pearl Jam or Mud Honey or something like that. Am I in, a, in the right area? Uh, the Spin Doctors. Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's quite there good. We go. Did he come on just for the second half of the gig? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That has got to be because they just love Alexi Lalas, isn't it? He's not getting that gig under any other circumstances. It's a more interesting support act to bring people in the door. I'd be more likely, if you were going to sit, but I went to sit band last night and we didn't bother watching the support act. If Alexi Lalas had been in that band, <laughs> I would have watched them. Because I don't think support acts are ever that good because you're never seeing him in the situation where they can thrive. You never go, do you know who was amazing? I saw someone supporting, you know, X. Because it's half full room, people are milling around or whatever. Maybe it should just be novelty celebrity bands always supporting, (laughs) because then it would be interesting. Like, for instance, I'm going to see Blur at Wembley two nights, because the second night, uh, they're supported by a Steve Davis DJ set. (laughs) I can't miss that. (laughs) Have we got time for one more quick one? Yeah. This is an interesting one from Desmond Hinton Beals. I'm not sure this has come up before, but when Gary Lineker stepped up on the spot against Cameroon in 1990, that was his first England penalty in his 56th cap. This is because England had gone a startling four and a half years and 53 games without being awarded a penalty. Obviously, there's a lot of incident detail missing here, but I do often wonder if this barren run deepened Shilton's belief in his penalty-stopping technique as he wasn't seeing what every other international goalkeeper (laughs) in the world was doing. (laughs) I suppose the interesting thing about that, one of them, is that Gary Lineker, England were then awarded two penalties in the space of half an hour or whatever, weren't they? Because he gets another penalty really swiftly afterwards. Yeah. I think... Arguably, that penalty for Lineker against Cameroon with like 10 minutes left has got more at stake than taking one in a shootout. Because in a shootout, yeah. there's five penalties. Yeah. In this, it's all on this, really. Yeah. And if you, there is no penalty shootout, if you missed that, like the, the whole game rests on that penalty. 
Whereas in the penalty shootout, like you said, you can, you can be forgiven for missing one. See, this is us just, re- you know, going back to Italia 90 and loving it. I can't wait to ask Reese James because we're going to talk to him about what it was like to miss out on the 90s and look back on it as a huge football fan, whether he thinks it is as great as we thought. I'm fascinated to know his views on Italia 90 and if it has any magic at all. Um, if you want to get in touch, this is how. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. There you go. I look forward to all your interesting Alexi Lalas facts. Can't wait for them to come pouring in. Uh, if you want even more Quickly Kevin, there's the Quickly Kevin fan club. There are loads of bonus episodes. Two more this month. We're doing a read-through of Steve Bruce's second book, Sweeper with Ivo Graham. And the whole first book is there as well. Every episode this series comes a week early, extended and ad-free. To join in, go to the Quickly Kevin fan club. It's available at anotherslice.com forward slash Quickly Kevin. Okay, now this is a very exciting episode. Very looking forward to this. Reese James, brilliant comedian, bought his first Tottenham season ticket in 2001. So we wanted to know what it was like to take someone back to the 90s and see it from outsiders' eyes. Are we making up a load of shit that this was the greatest decade or not? To help him on his way, we watched an incredible documentary from 1993 called From World of Action about the financial affairs of his beloved Tottenham Hotspur. This is Reese James. Hello, Reese James. Welcome to the show. Hello. How you doing? Very good. Very good. Very excited. Genuinely excited about this. You're our first Spurs fan. Really? Everyone supports Arsenal, don't they, in the media? Yes. Do you find yeah. that? Yeah, and also everyone I went to school with supports Arsenal, so every WhatsApp group I'm in is hell. I'm basically on the cusp of leaving every this year, particularly. Because it's so unexpected this I, year. Every group is muted. I am completely silent. It's It's over. My WhatsApp career is dead. I don't understand this. We're about to talk about a crisis in 93. This is nothing. Yeah. Let's take you back to a, a decade of crisis. Don't, when you, like, Alan Sugar, dipping back and seeing, like, when you had a great chairman, do you ever wish that Alan Sugar was still the chairman now? Would you just imagine all the trophies you would have won in this time? Do you, do you believe that? I don't nope. think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Um, good. I've watched The Apprentice, okay? So, we... Uh, we wanted to do two things. We wanted to watch... A, it's a documentary from 1993 about the financial problems at Spurs and then also just talk to you about what it's like looking back at the 90s from someone who wasn't there. So first thing is, what is your first footballing memory, just so we've got an, a yardstick as to what we're dealing with here? Well, I don't actually know what year it was. It's probably Googleable, and I should have Googled it. But, um, but the 1998 World Cup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's going to watch Spurs lose 3-1, I think, to Leeds behind the pillar in the east stand of the old White Hart Lane. So barely being able to see it anyway. And as after the full-time whistle was blown, my family all standing up to leave and me remaining there sat and crying. Oh. And my family sort of turning around and going, what are you crying about? And he's saying, we lost. And they were like, oh, God, it's going to be a long old life for you, my boy, if you can't us losing 3-1 to the Leeds. Um, and that's sort of the earliest one. The main ones, so I was around in the 90s. I'm 32. So I was born in 91. And I was born yeah. just before Tottenham won the FA Cup, which has yeah. not happened since. So that, is that the biggest Spurs trophy of your lifetime, probably? Yeah, yes. Um, and I did not really get to enjoy it. I was there at the... 2008 League Cup final, Juan de Ramos, thank you very much. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Jonathan Woodgate, lovely stuff. But, you know, it's when that ends up being the only one, it takes the shine off somewhat. But um, the main ones of, like, international football, I remember TVs being wheeled in at primary school uh, for those early kickoffs in the 2002 World Cup and the sort of, you know, us against so Brazil. you got to watch it? Yeah, they would, like, bring the TVs in at school and just move us all into the hall to watch it. Oh, wow. Yeah. What's the atmosphere like? Well, it's, everyone was in, it, it was quite electric, actually, because everyone was so excited to not be doing school. So yeah, no, one was, no one was that, I don't think people were that fussed in general about. But what was interesting about that is there were some, despite the fact they've said you can watch a football match if you want instead of having lessons, there were some pupils, even in primary school, who were like, well, I don't like football, so can I not do that? 
And then oh they would gosh. be the sole ones who got to go on the computer in the classroom instead. And oh. they would just play Minesweeper. <laughs> oh, wow. I was at secondary school for France 98, and it was uh, three-line whip that we weren't allowed to watch it. It was, what? you know, there was... Yeah, there was no... It wasn't allowed. Not, not, not in the evening. I mean, the England game that was on during the day. <laughs> You've got to be doing homework. homework if only. I hear that you guys have come in having watched the game last night, I will be absolutely furious. <laughs> We'll be announcing the result in assembly. And if any of you look like you've got preconceived notion of what the result was, we'll come down on you like a ton of bricks. Were you allowed to watch it in class, Chris? Surely yeah, not. Yeah, we had the whole school. And I went to quite a strict school. But the, the, we were allowed to, we were dragged into the assembly. Yeah, had the, had it. I remember watching England Tunisia on a big screen. They got that in, they like, they might have hired a big screen, like a projector. What, they hired? Yeah, they, they, hired they, they couldn't have hired a big screen. <laughs> it might have been there all the time, but I don't think it was ever used. It was used for this. I vividly remember England Tunisia. What, a th- how many kids? I think it might have been optional. Like, you could just run around the playground if you didn't want to watch it. But the majority of people did. Did you notice that the screen had a little um, graphic of a pint glass in the corner, <laughs> like in the pub? <laughs> yeah, and there were beers and like shots. And I, I, I find it astonishing that skulls that your yeah. school rented a large. Mad. Yeah, I can't. Be- I can't believe your school didn't let you, Josh. Yes, I that's, can't that's either. The, I thought that's that, the mad I, thing. I presumed that was government policy sent down <laughs> from above. I, what? That is so joyless. That, it was implied to me that that was a national policy. That, that is so joyless oh. of your school. That like I know kind of because per- how much effect has that had on my? <laughs> Gee, do you know what I mean? Like, how much effect does that have on your life and your GCSEs to miss those that one afternoon of school? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's let's talk. Let's start with the documentary. So this documentary is okay. from 1993, and it's a world of action um, investigation to Tottenham's um, financial irregularities. I'm just <laughs> choosing my words carefully. Um, yeah. Do you, were you aware of the, obviously this was before your time, Reese? But you were aware of this era of Spurs's uh, finances? Very vaguely. I mean, not. I sort of knew that. It's interesting because because Alan Sugar in this documentary is very uh he's very dismissive of <laughs> yes. the interview that's happening he just in the first scene of the documentary is him basically just being like you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah and just being he's really just like on the back foot and and also a lot of spurs fans sort of really complain about the sugar era which isn't a very long era to be honest i don't, I don't know if it constitutes yeah. an era um more of the sugar holiday but they sugar rush the summer of sh- the summer of sugar yeah exactly um but i kind of muddled it in my head and assumed it was sort of his fault all of this stuff but he actually kind of fixed it in yeah what he I'm came in and tidied up and i'd never really understood before why he'd fallen out with terry venables yeah neither did i i didn't understand this but this explains yeah that. it's all to do with that he's trying to basically clean up the books yeah. effectively there is a bit where he really blames terry venables for it near the end. <laughs> it's an astonishing bit where he just pins it all on venables and he, the... he says bonuses and payments are handled by the manager 
I, it's basically it's about so it's a, it's about a tax effectively a inverted commas tax dodge set up in Jersey that was used to pay uh, Aussie Ardiles, Ricky Veer and Glenn Hoddle among others, but essentially pay rises that Tottenham couldn't technically afford after yeah. they won the FA Cup and they all wanted they wanted to keep the players styled as loans. Yes, often styled as loans that never had to be paid back, which is illegal apparently. I had to phone my accountant immediately and cancel all those <laughs> loan contracts I've sent out to various writers. It's, but, um, it's weird, isn't it? That like, when Ozzy Ardiles is interviewed and you go, why has he done this? Why yeah. is Alan Sugar there? They're both so uncomfortable and so livid they're being interviewed by the whole Yeah, yeah. And they list all the people who said no to doing the documentary <laughs> and it's basically everyone else. Yeah. And it's like they thought everyone was going to say yes and it was going to be, a, you know, a nice reunion and we've yeah, got to yeah. do it. It's all about the truth. And then it's like Alan Sugar's been forced. To, he's like he's at gunpoint being forced to do it. And he yeah. keeps being so aggressive. He, I think he was trying to get, a, he was like trying out an early catchphrase because the thing he says a lot, which is early on, he says to the um, person interviewing him, well, you're not the tax expert. You don't know, right? <laughs> yeah. And then he goes, well, I think it was put to you that. And he interrupts him to say, it was not put to me, no, like that. And then later on, when he says the thing that you said, Chris, about, um, you know, the manager's the one in charge of the books, effectively. He then goes, I mean, the chairman may be to blame, but don't assume it because you don't know. And clearly, that's, that's his first attempt at a sort of you're fired. Is, you don't know. Can you I don't that? know. You don't know. You, you watch this and you go, if I, when I, you know, if I was the person casting The Apprentice, I'd have made my mind up by the end of this. He, he delivers <laughs> a superb performance, doesn't he? Like, yeah. he is, there's no doubt he's Alan Sugar from the off. And one thing about the Tottenham finance thing and then it reminds me that i'd forgotten because tottenham were like in serious financial trouble and i was new to being into football about this point about 1992 i wasn't a spurs fan but i was worried about tottenham and i remember me and my friend deciding we never went through with it but we thought we should do a charity like a kind of red nose day thing like a a sponsored thing for tottenham hotspur <laughs> That's very <laughs> sweet. What would you was yeah, but, sit in a bath of beans? What? Yeah, well, I don't know what it was. I just remember us having plans, and I remember being like talked out of it because people were like it's not an actual, you know, it's not starving it's not people course. or homeless people. Oh, I don't know, maybe you know, yeah, Ricky V had to leave the, leave the country to avoid HMRC. According to this, it's like <laughs> yeah, basically a yeah. refugee. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if we'd sent them 120 quid that we'd raised. <laughs> Well, it would go further than you think, because what I was amazed to learn, which obviously is just off the time, is that um, Aussie Ardiles' basic salary, because they showed yeah. the contract, was £40,000 per annum. Yeah. Which I looked up some equivalent jobs that are £40,000 per annum now. Yeah. And for that now, you would be a trainee investment manager. You could <laughs> yeah. be a data analyst apprentice at Lloyd's. <laughs> You could be the complaints officer at Camden Council or, uh, my favourite, head chef at TGI Fridays in the O2. Oh, wow. That's good. Yeah. That's, that's better money than you'd think for me, head chef <laughs> at TGI Fridays. Isn't it? Yeah. I know. I always had Ozzy Ardila's down as a bit of an idiot because I think, you know, when he was in charge of Spurs, they were going through a particularly bad period, it felt like. And it just I just got the sense that he was like a rabbit in the headlights, it felt like, Ozzy Ardiles. And in this interview, he doesn't really change my opinion of him too much. He seems to be no. saying stuff that he really shouldn't be saying and not even aware that he shouldn't be saying it. Like there was, wasn't there uh, one bit where they say, like, OK, so you were given a scouting contract. How much scouting did you actually do? And he's like, none. You're like, well, yeah. I don't know much yeah, about yeah. this conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, yeah. probably, I should say, you should say you did some scouting, probably. Yeah, he does also go, there's a bit where they say, they gave you these loans, didn't they? But you didn't see them as loans. He said, no, they put in writing that I didn't have to pay them back. And they were like, they basically go, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just, oh God, I've changed the documentary. Um, yeah. You didn't enjoy it, Michael, did you? I just found it incredibly dry. I was I was sort of hoping for a slightly more of a snapshot of the footballing side of Spurs in the 90s. You didn't want to hear from Ozzy Ardiles' accountant, who I thought was my favourite character. <laughs> yes. When he turns oh, up... he was amazing. Albert Fox, 
is his accountant. He turns Albert up. Fox. And this guy was like, my first note is, is this guy drunk? Like, he's kind of, his eyes are half open. His hair's all over the place. He looks, like, really hungover. But then he, I think he he's done an amazing job. Yeah, he didn't come across as an accountant. He came across as a kind of, um, like, a, an agent, didn't yeah. he? He came yeah. across as, like, a like a, a kind of angry manager. Well, he was quite unaccountant-like when he said that um, he's talking about the level of a smack he'd have given the club <laughs> if he wasn't restrained by our dealers. <laughs> Accountants yeah. <laughs> in the nineties, a rock and roll profession. Yeah, it was really? a re- it was a different world. The, um, accountancy. There's in the- a great quote in there from. It is really dry. You should consider yourself lucky, Michael, that it's not made today, or it would be a ten-part Netflix documentary. Uh, <laughs> it was just twenty-four minutes with a lot, quite a lot of sort of scrolling text in the background that wasn't doing yeah. any work for us. But um, there's a great bit from the accounting expert, Dr. Rebecca Bowden from the University of Manchester, which I really double took on this sentence and I wrote it down because I just, it, she said it and it sounded so familiar. And then I realized it was just exactly what all football punditry I've heard my whole life about Spurs was. She just said, our dealers as accountant was actually doing a thorough and professional job. And in many ways, Spurs were at fault because they'd left themselves wide open to that sort of attack. <laughs> I was like, that's exactly what I hear on Match of the Day every yes. week. It's Spurs' fault for leaving themselves. Eric Dyer has left himself wide open to that yeah. sort of attack. The Jersey Trust Fund is unmarked at the far post. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it was, yeah. What, what baffled me, I, I don't know, is then... Uh, during all this, Ardiles comes back as manager. Well, it is frustrating as a Spurs fan that this era was, it's called the club that liked to say yes, and it's all about just how willing Spurs were clearly to just pay whatever. And now we have a reputation for having a chairman <laughs> yeah. who won't spend any money for anyone, and it's costing us dearly. The club that says no. Yeah, exactly. It's so frustrating. Do you miss the days of Irving Scholar? Is that what you're saying? He'd be a much better... Bring a Scholar in. I'm going to hire a plane with the banner that says Scholar in. So let's, let's think about the 90s. Because I'd say this podcast is premised on, though we grew up in the 90s, we love it as a decade of football, and we consider it to be a special decade of football. As an outsider who doesn't really remember it, do, is that a fair assumption or are we just being nostalgic to you? And you don't need to be polite. It's hard to know because most of what you consume about the 90s is incredibly positive and nostalgic. So I, I do remember uh, 1998. I do remember I had France 98 socks. I remember yeah. all the hype around it. I remember the Michael Owen goal and the Beckham red card and all that sort of stuff. I remember watching those things, but obviously I wouldn't have been able probably to process the hype and the atmosphere and sort of understand Yeah, that I would realize where everyone was so excited, but I would, you know, I wouldn't, I kind of, I don't know, you're so influenced by parents and stuff. So it would have just been like, what's my dad's opinion on the Beckham red card? And then that yeah. would be my view. <laughs> but it is interesting because the sort of fashion of nineties football is obviously better than modern football. The kits are obviously better. That's why everyone like wears the them now. Everyone, Well, that's how everyone dresses now. They they buy old retro kits from the 90s because they're so much better. They're much more forgiving on a real person's body. Yes. Who isn't a footballer. But I, Michael Owen, what he looked like playing for England, that they must have made them smaller than his shirt. It's... <laughs> Yeah, it's like he's wearing his dad's suit to prom. <laughs> he's, he's so slight, isn't he? He's he is so, so slight with him. But they, it's like they, they. Oh, we've only got one shirt. We've only got an extra large one because we thought we were going to have a big striker. We do, we, we thought it was going to be sharing. We thought <laughs> yeah, it was going to exactly. be sharing. It's like it is like they've had to do that. So I do think there's surely a way around it. And then there was that brief period in the sort of in like 2010 when kits became actively skin tight, like a sort of rugby, yes, a, a modern rugby top, so that you can't get grabbed. And that was just awful for fans. Kappa trialed this sort of skin tight thing. And my dad turned up once wearing it uh, to the pub. And I was like, you're you're a 50 year old man who's let himself go. You can't be wearing this. You've had eight pints today. Do you think, I think it was too big though. Was it the nine? Like, are we, um, are we at the right stage football kit size now? I, I'd say so. During the 90s, do you remember the sleeves? The, the sleeves in particular. Yeah, yeah. Like, would go down below. The, if you had a short, short sleeve top, it would go down below your elbow. And they'd, they'd be so yes. wide, the sleeves. They would flap around in the wind. I don't know what they happened. Are wide, but it's back in though. That's, back, that's trendy. 
That is back in now. That's how this is how skaters dress. Oh no! Yeah. So the tastemakers of fashions, the skaters, they dress like '90s footballers now. They dress like my, little Michael Owen. Oh, that's <laughs> I wonder nice if he to knows. Know. I wonder if he knows his influence on the skating community. Well, he, he's got obviously a young, cool daughter, hasn't he? I wonder if she's. Uh, yeah, exactly. She's informed him. Um, I want to go through some people because because the thing is, you'll have different views of people because you won't have known their pomp. So. Yeah. Paul Gascoigne, how do you view him as a person? Do you? Yeah, I mean, mixed. Do you view him simply as a sad figure or do you understand his importance? I do understand his importance and obviously a huge talent, but it's the complicated modern stories sort of outweigh the past glories yeah, in my brain. So it's tipped yeah. over. It's sort of tipped over. When you conjure an image of Paul Gascoigne in your mind, is it him... Scoring against Scotland in Euro '96, or is it six pack of lagers, fishing rods, chicken nuggets? Yeah, it's more. It's closer it's to closer the latter. To that, the, yeah. Oh, it's a shame, isn't it? I yeah. know it's a bit. It's closer to the latter. It's not. Yeah, it's not like scoring an absolutely. It's not really like him doing the dentist chair yeah. and all that sort of stuff. It's more. That is the shame for the younger generation, isn't it? But I guess that's his legacy. Yeah. What about Alan Sugar then? Because you do a fantastic podcast. Like trying to create the kind of ideal football club, right? So wh mm. where would Alan Sugar be in your list of chairmen? <laughs> um, well, again, it's like I, I'd like him to be in the boardroom so I could fire him <laughs> for a laugh. <laughs> so I'd be in the shortlist purely for, you know, purely for that sort of reason. Because also this is before there's like, he, he signs Jürgen Klinsmann and then he falls out with Jürgen Klinsmann. Yeah. And in an interview, he throws Klinsmann's shirt away and says, I wouldn't clean my car with it. Like, yeah. <laughs> he, he hires Christian Gross. Yeah. He's He has an awful time. Yeah. He has a dreadful time. And he's still really into it. And I don't understand yeah. at all. I, I'll be honest. Look, I, I didn't have a great gig on A League of Their Own. I haven't watched it since. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm certainly not live tweeting every episode saying, oh, another banger from Romesh. Do you, what about Klinsman? What does he conjure up for someone who's not from the 90s? When I think of Klinsman, I think of celebration. I, yeah. To me, that was the first example of someone doing a celebration that referenced sort of criticism or referenced the media in some way. Other examples are like the Suarez dive in front of Moyes. Yeah, uh, Robbie Fowler doing coke down the line. Yeah, and uh, Rooney doing the knockout oh, uh, yeah. celebration after getting punched on Instagram or whatever it was. The, another one was Craig Bellamy, who um, pretended to play golf, didn't he? Um, took a golf shot after the story that he hit John Arnarisa with a golf club. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't remember that one. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I just, I like that. And obviously he sort of saved us from relegation when he came back. Um, but other than that, I don't have an enormous amount of personal memory for Klinsman. It's just that he means a lot, a great deal to my dad. I, again, it's sort of like stories passed down where I kind of was there, but I was a bit young to sort of process what it was. I wasn't really like online, if you know what I mean, to really consume it and understand it. But I know he's a very important figure. And he gets every time we're looking for a manager, his name will be rumoured. Obviously, we romanticise the 90s because it's kind of when we grew up. Do you romanticise the noughties at all? Is there anything in that period that you, you hark back to? It's interesting, isn't it? Because you got sort of like these these sort of moments that would, that, these sort of inspirational moments in the 90s, particularly with England, that didn't really happen again until quite recently. So yeah. you got to have these great runs of sort of semi-finals and stuff and then the sort of penalty heartbreaks. Whereas in the noughties, we just were crap. <laughs> It was just yes. really bleak. And we had that golden era of players. And it was just the most frustrating. All those tournaments were just the most frustrating. They'd be over so quickly for us. They were just wildly inconvenient. I do remember, you know, always buying the shirts and me and my mates always gathering around to watch it, but it just being really dull and depressing and not having any good moments. And those all sort of coming from yeah. about 2018. But I was an adult by then. So you, you would never go, God, the noughties was just the, the golden era of football. I don't think a Naughties football podcast would do that well, is what I'll say. <laughs> That's I don't think you'd get many Patreon subscribers, <laughs> at least. Um, so I'm not going to phone up Ivo and start one. Uh, but I just, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, there's bits of it you romanticised, but like, it was also just, you know, it was when Spurs started to sort of become good around then in like the 2010s a little bit. When we got Martin Yoll, we sort of went up again. Yeah. In the 90s, in this era, we were coming 11th and stuff like that quite a lot. 
Um, but we would have that. What was interesting about us in the nineties, we we would have some good cup runs, but yeah. we would finish mid table. And now it's like we will, you know, potentially be in a title race. Happened sort of once, and then the year we came second, we weren't even in a title race. Madness. <laughs> and we'll like, you know, come fourth quite a lot, but we'll just the managers never care about the cups, and it's just so frustrating that we can never just have a year where we do both, except that sort of Champions League year. Well, when Tottenham won the FA Cup in 1991. Yeah, that was quite a big event because I think they had Lineker and Gaza got injured, and so it was quite a kind of mm. iconic FA Cup final. Brian Clough and Terry Venables, but I remember that made Tottenham the team that had won the FA Cup more than any other team. Yeah, that is mad. Which is yeah. mad that is mad to mad. look back on. Yeah, what was it? It was like eight times, yeah, eight. eight or nine times. Yeah. It was eight. Yeah, and also it was another thing was of which I remember is Tottenham always win a trophy in a year ending ending in a one. Was a yeah. big deal in those Isn't days. There a Chaz and a Dave song? There's a Chaz and Dave song about that, isn't there? The Tottenham, Is there? Tottenham winning the, the year ends in one. I'm pretty sure it's a Chaz and Dave song about the Another success. Another sign that the noughties is an absolutely <laughs> horrible oh, yeah, decade. Well, yeah, 2001, 2011, and uh, 2021 has ended. That song is <laughs> not being repeated at all anymore. Is there a feeling of if you could go back, would you? Do Euro 96 or do you do Italia 90? What do those tournaments mean to you? I would do 96 because Italia 90 is like almost mythical to me. I just is have it? no, I don't have any connection to it really. Obviously I'm aware of it and aware of things that happened and whatnot. And just like, I know about the history of it from people talking about it, but because I, I had no experience of it whatsoever. Whereas 96 Can I just stop like, you and say the reference to Italia 90 as history is abs- an absolute... <laughs> that's a heartbreaking. That's a heartbreaking <laughs> blow. Oh, yeah, I'm aware of history. Let me correct myself. I'm aware of ancient history. Um, <laughs> but it predates This me. mythical man, Roger Miller, who walks <laughs> the earth. It's 96 I would go for just because... Also, it's like the names are more significant to me in the squad yeah. in 96. I did see a lot of those players then play live and stuff like that. Whereas Italia 90, I mean, wh- wh- which, which is it for you? It's, well, Italia 90 for me is, you know how your first tournament's always the best, right? It's mm. the one that matters most to you. It's like having your heart broken for the first time, isn't it? It's the strongest feeling of the okay. lot. So I think, I think Italia 90 for me is more vivid and important to me than Euro 96. Because that was my entry into football, I think. But it's interesting because I think of that as the defining World Cup. But the question is, is that because of where it hit me in my life or does it have some kind of magical property to it in the sense of, do you go around thinking of 2002 as your defining World Cup experience? Not really. For me, it's all about USA 94. Let everyone else get on with it. Um, (laughs) No, it's... uh... We don't need to be part of this nonsense. Um, Argentina 78, Germany 74, all the ones without England. Yeah. Um, I don't really, because 2002 is like, I guess it's a sort of, I don't think of it as a defining England World Cup. I I guess it is a defining World Cup, though. It was like, because it was my kind of proper introduction to the World Cup, I suppose. Obviously, I had experienced France 98, but I guess I didn't really know what it was that much. Um, I just had the merch and I remember the mascot. But 2002 was like, it was Ronaldinho is what it reminds me of mainly. I can picture Ronaldinho playing in blue is what I think of when I think of the 2002 World Cup, uh, lobbing semen by accident. (laughs) So I just, I don't don't know because it's not really a positive memory. So I didn't get the sort of, I didn't get that feeling with England that you had in these tournaments until Southgate was manager. That's crazy. It wasn't until really 2018 that I had that, oh my God, this might happen. It always was just like, oh yeah, England, whatever. It's like being a Spurs fan. It wasn't until really Pochettino that it was like, oh my God, this might happen. And then my whole life has been destined for none of it to happen. That's that's interesting, isn't it? Because it tells me that a World Cup is only formative if the team you support do well in it. Because if England don't do well at Italia 90, do you really care? What were those moments you're hanging on to? The final's rubbish. So if England hadn't beaten Belgium, as we could have easily not, and just gone out in the second round, would that have changed your relationship with football? Because you wouldn't have really had a formative experience. No, because you were out with USA 94. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, yeah. Wow, you might have struggled. Oh, do you wish you'd experienced really shit football grounds? But White Hart Lane, you, uh, you mentioned at the start, White Hart Lane, I thought, was one of the yeah. worst grounds. Like, you mentioned the restricted view. The skull! I couldn't believe uh, that the restricted to, view. Well, up to point, you never really had pillars in front of your face. There's an argument some of the seats... but insane. The, so some of the seats at White Hart Lane were outrageous. I agree. So it's for that to be a stadium that we had until the sort of mid-20... Well, like, late 2010s. And it was a disgrace what it was, you know, compared to. But it, somehow, it had an, a great atmosphere. So especially that last season when we we were there, when we were unbeaten and barely conceded a goal, and, and it, was, it became a fortress for basically the first time in decades. It was like the atmosphere was amazing, and we were so, yeah we were doing quite well towards the end of being White Hart Lane. So it was still great, and under the lights it was incredible. But I sat in the West Stand by that time, so I wasn't worried about the pillars. <laughs> so I didn't give a shit. So my seats were great by the time I had a season ticket. Um, also, I remember receiving a season ticket as a nine-year-old as a Christmas present, and it was presented to me. You know, when you're younger and all, you, you think the best gift is the biggest gift. Yeah. So just whatever the biggest box is under the tree, you think that's great. But that could be a fucking lawnmower. <laughs> but anyway, my dad was aware of this, and so he wrapped up a ma- two massive boxes for me and my brother, and then it was just loads of different smaller boxes inside until eventually got to a half-season ticket. Oh, uh, from word. Christmas onwards that was amazing but also you're kind of because you're just opening basically a piece of paper as a child you're like what the fuck is this get me some Lego yeah you can't I can't play with this on Christmas day exactly and then kind of being explained like no that's a, that guarantees us entry into this place you've never been um, to like <laughs> I like <laughs> and we were when we first went we were in the third row so we were like basically pitch level and there was a oh. time when when I was uh I must have been about 13 or 14. I don't know. Whenever Martin Yol was in charge and he'd had a really good season the year before, there was a day where he, they, Spurs had like sent an email around saying, if you're interested, you can do like a meet the staff thing if you come early enough to the game or something like this. And you might be able to meet Martin Yol. And so, so me and my dad went really early to this Spurs match. Yeah. And Martin, we were like in the West End where the manager sits really not far away. And there was, there was no one there. And then Martin Yol was just stood there like he was waiting to do a meet and greet that no one had turned up. <laughs> oh, my, oh my God, God, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was. And then my dad said, OK, this great. But this is this is why we're here. So let's go and we can go and meet Martin Yol. And we go kind of walk on the pitch and just go over to yeah. him and speak to him. And I was thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to say? <laughs> and I was sort of quite an awkward, nervous teenager. I was probably about 15. I don't know. And I was thinking, what am I going to say to Martin Yol? And then we get to him and my dad goes, it's so businessy the way my dad spoke to him. He just went, Martin. Huge fan. Love the the job you're doing with the club. It's absolutely fantastic. That game against Arsenal last year, da 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 um, The results are fantastic. So good that we're finishing in European positions. This is my son. <laughs> and introduced me. And then I thought, well, he's he's covered everything there is to say to Martin Yol. What am I possibly going to do? Repeat myself. And so I just shook Martin Yol's hand and just went, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. I just, and he did in at no time during this whole exchange did Martin Yol say a word or blink. Didn't he? He didn't react at all. He just stood there, <laughs> shook our hands, and then we were just. He clearly didn't understand a word we were saying. Do, do you think he was waiting for the meet and greets, or do you think he was just? I I think he'd been told just go stand out there because some people might want to. We've sent this email around. We shouldn't have done it. There's an intern's been fired. But you've got to go so and meet what, the fans. What was it? And so, tell me this again. Just if you want to turn up early to a match. It was something like this. I don't know. Because I, I thought it was just that we, in my head, the story was that we just got there one day and he was just stood there and we just went, yeah. said to the steward, can we go and meet him? And the steward was like, yeah, which is obviously mental. I mentioned it to my dad I'd like a year ago and he was like, no, they said you can come and meet some of the staff or something like that they'd sent an wow. email to like members but like basically no one was there oh my god if anyone else went to that do email yeah. in well just quick quick one on the mistreatment of martin yo wasn't he fired during a game do yeah you and everyone yeah everyone in the stand sort of knew it and he didn't yeah because it was on so what happened he was fired was while a game was going this on this feels like something that, that would happen in the 90s <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is a do I remember this right I'm sure he was fired during a game and then everyone in the crowd and it was going around and he's been fired and he's still on the touchline and he doesn't know yet yeah that, I was there what were you yeah, yeah I was happened? at that game it was like people were finding out on their phones going I think Martin Yolt's been I think the manager's been sacked <laughs> and it, you just you then you can't watch the game you just stare at this man yeah, like, were you losing <laughs> I think I don't know actually, but it was it was like in the second half of a game, and we were on a you know a bit of a bad run, 
But yeah. I do just remember, yeah, everyone just being like, you're just now just watching a man to see the moment that the that he realizes that someone <laughs> comes over and says something to him. <laughs> And to see if steam oh comes out of his God. ears or what. <laughs> He's thinking oh that scenario, God. like the security would come out and just take, escort him off the premises. Take though. him off the pitch. <laughs> With his, you know, those car, you know, like a cardboard box of his belongings, yeah. like when you get fired from the news of the world. <laughs> I wonder who, how, I wonder how he found out. Yeah, because you think, like, are you allowed to take the post-match press conferences and you're allowed to take the, the post-match team talk? I don't know what the rule is on that. Yeah, do you have to just walk straight as soon as you walk down the tunnel, you don't stop walking until you're in your car. I remember um, when West Ham got relegated at Wigan in probably like 2011, Avram Grant was sacked immediately after the game. And there was a discussion of, well, does, that, does he come back on the coach? Or does he have to now make his own <laughs> way home? <laughs> got to get back from Wigan. Oh, my God. I think Scott Parker put his foot down and said, no, he has to come back on the coach. He can't get a taxi. <laughs> so he was but that's almost worse. Would you want to be on that coach? <laughs> don't want to be on that coach. Yeah, what do you prefer? Well, he's probably got a payout. He can afford a taxi. Um, a couple of other things from the nineties that really stick with me. That I, do you have the same hatred of Manchester United? Uh, not that really. Was instilled in me in the nineties. Oh wow, that must be that must be freeing. My experience of Man United as a child is that everyone briefly supported them. So. On the, po- on the podcast I do, we obviously yes, talk to people about give who the, they... Give the name of it, give the name of it, Maurice. It's called Fit and Proper. So uh, people come on and it's just like, you know, build your dream club, move the stadium next to your house or get um, Alan Sugar in as chairman or manager, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Uh, and often people come on and we talk to them about their history with supporting football and loads of people who are similar age to me say, well, you know, I'm a so-and-so fan. I'm a Crystal Palace fan now, but I supported Man United for three years when I was a kid. What? And everyone, because yeah. it was because it was Beckham and Giggs, and it was basically class of 92 were then like playing and sort of in their prime a little bit around when we were kids. It was like so exciting to support Man United that loads of people, my brother tried to support United because he loved Beckham so much, but my dad just wouldn't let him. So he would ask for like a United shirt or whatever. This is only for about a year because he was just obsessed with Beckham. And I think loads of people of the similar age to me, that's the memory of United is, I think Arsenal fans hate Man United who are my age. Yeah. But Man United were just, growing up, Man United to me were just this like empire that were just this untouchable, you know what I mean? It's like, I look at United in the same way I would look at the sort of comedy podcast charts now. It's just like, you're not getting fucking near that top. <laughs> You've got no chance. <laughs> <laughs> you know but so that's how I felt about United it's like well they just win everything because they won the treble when I was a kid so yeah. like, well, you can't get near that so there's no point hating them because they're just unrivaled so it was more painful actually as a fan to watch them evolve yeah do you think that's true Skull? I mean United are still good throughout the noughties aren't they I mean they're still they're winning the Champions League in 2000 they the Champions League again so I mean it's not, I would say it's only really in the last since Fergie left, what would that be? 2013? They've only been rubbish. Been rubbish for a decade. Nothing, really. I don't think they've been rubbish for long enough yet to even make a difference. And it's, sadly, it looks like they're back. So I'm, they're I'm back. not sure. I'm surprised that people have reformed character, you know, saying, readily admitting that I supported Man United for three years and then I, I went back to my real club. Oh, my it almost feels like doping or something like that. It's, like, it's so unseemly. I'm not okay with it. I mean, <laughs> I always flag people off, but Lloyd Griffith, who I co-host the podcast with, kind of also did this. <gasps> So he is a Grimsby is fan, but he has a picture of him with Eric Cantona up in his flat where he's wearing a Man United shirt. And I think there was a while, he got, it was like a scandal. He got briefly cancelled as a Grimsby fan when this photo emerged <laughs> as a child in a United shirt. And he had to sort of be like, let's be honest with yourselves. Everyone, you know, has a brief dalliance as a child. I think team. every fan of a small club has a bigger Premier League club that they follow mm. to an extent. Well, who's yours then? I think Liverpool. But not really, not to the point where I I like Liverpool if they're doing what. But it's, oh, oh, I couldn't care less <laughs> that Liverpool are rubbish now. Okay, let me ask shit. you this. Let me ask you this. Did you have, as a child, a foreign team that you were weirdly yeah, really into? Really? Palmer. You're yeah. really into Palmer as a child? Loved Palmer. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Because they were on a, a Football Italia and... I just adopted them, and once you've adopted, once you've decided who you support randomly, there's no going back. It's like I watched the American football a bit when it was on Channel 4 when I was growing up, and I liked the helmets of the Cincinnati Bengals. And ever since, I've always thought if I was, an Ameri- if I was to get into American football, yeah. I can't leave now. I know nothing about the Cincinnati. I've never been there. Yeah. It's, I couldn't, in good faith, support a different American football team. 
Yeah, no. I'm the same. I was um, bought a Miami Dolphins jumper as a four-year-old. So now I would support them if I could be bothered to watch it. Same with the Orlando yeah. Magic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just basketball. can't. You can't leave that. Do you agree, Skull? Yeah. The Chicago Bulls. I remember I had NBA '96 on the Mega Drive. Yeah. And I was a, I, play, I was played a lot of Chicago Bulls, but I don't really have an NFL team. Did you have a foreign football team? As yeah, a I was child? quite into Deportivo La Coruña because of Diego Tristan. Oh, lovely. What a strange yeah. choice. But, but also lovely the name stuff. Deportivo La Coruña is such a yeah. it's such an ornate phrasing. There's no other football team in the world that almost has that many syllables. And, I, and the kit was really nice. I think it was probably influenced by championship manager. I think Diego Tristan might have been quite good. And uh, then I would manage Deportivo. And I've... I mean, where have they? You never hear about them anymore. I don't even know what's happened no, to them. You never hear about them anymore. They were a big deal in the 90s. Yeah. They were a huge deal. Michael, did you have any. Uh... Real Betis was my Spanish team because. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I remember buying nice. a Real, a Kappa Real Betis top. But I've, I've got a particular affinity for Betis and that kit is because I wore it on that Ibiza holiday. Like, it was the first time I ever kissed a girl that wasn't from the Isle of Wight. <laughs> so it has a real. It's, it's like a lucky shirt of mine. <laughs> And how much do you think the Real Betis shirt played in that? Well, in hindsight, looking at the pictures, I think it probably worked against me. I think I probably would have done a lot better without that shirt. So I sort of gave it... She wasn't into Danielson. (laughs) I gave it this magical, mythical quality, but... Probably if I just want a nice polo shirt. After the yeah. kiss, did you did you take the shirt off and swap it with hers? <laughs> <laughs> you got hers framed in your living room. <laughs> oh wow! Um, I, I just wanted to ask your podcast. Well, what are the themes? What kind of things come up again and again when people are trying to create their ideal football club? What are the things that is there a common theme, common thread what people ask for? Uh, a lack of ethics comes up quite a lot um <laughs> oil money oil nation states the other day it's a spoiler but on the doc brown came on the other day and just immediately was just like yeah so i'm doing crystal palace and it's a football club for 10 years but with the aim of eventually becoming a military that only invades vulnerable countries <laughs> and it's like right all right we're gonna yes and this are we um but the the premise because the premise is that our supercomputer analyzes your requests and decides if you are fit and proper to run a football club people i think really try to push it to the limits of <laughs> yeah. what's acceptable and what basically lloyd will decide <laughs> the computer has said um <laughs> but one thing that comes up quite a lot is because some people are really logical about it so tom rosenthal introduced this on episode one and other people have also suggested similar things which is that youth teams he thinks haven't gone far enough so obviously we are now used to clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona signing six-year-olds. Yeah. And he's like, instead of all of that, which is, you know, there's still a financial aspect to that, where you've got to, you know, be paying a six-year-old from then. He was like, we're just going to get in early, get X players to breathe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like put them out to stud. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like so to like, stud. <laughs> yeah, but he's like two. He's like, so get like a, a female athlete, a male athlete, they who are like top quality, get them to breathe. And we basically own that baby is his argument that baby belongs to the club and then we nurture them and then you go well this sort of is what Erling Haaland is and he's the most cyborg it wasn't a commission I'd read recently that they've just done these experiments where they can actually create a child from two fathers they can take the genetic code from two sperms I think that's the plural and create a create uh, a fetus. So, are you thinking York and Cole? Yeah, like, like great, <laughs> great, great duo, sharing them, sharing, great partnerships, <laughs> or someone like Mark Hughes, good at volleys with like Ronaldo. I was thinking way, way darker than that. I was thinking Neville and Neville. <laughs> <laughs> they should do it with um, with uh, Gerard and Lampard. And see if it works. <laughs> it just, you know what would happen though? They'd have twins and they wouldn't be able to play together. It would yeah. be a nightmare. Just, the most conflicted individual ever created. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be the way to do it, wouldn't it? Be twins created by Shearer and Sheringham, so they could re- so they could do both roles, whatever situation they're in. It's a really good idea. So, if to sum up, when you hear people talk about the nineties. What do you think about it as a time? Do you think, oh, shut up, it can't have been that good? Or do you think, I wish I'd been there? Yeah, it's it's more on the, I wish I'd been there. And I kind of, in those conversations, sort of claim to have been there because of the fact I was alive. I'm sort of yeah. like, yeah, yeah, of course. I was, you know, the 90s, I was around. And I sort of use it as a, almost like a, a stick with which distance myself from Gen Z is that like, yeah, I was around in this heyday because 
in loads of ways other than football sort of like growing up in the 2000s is not wasn't that great there's a lot you know yeah. there's like obviously there's good aspects to it but it's not like everything was thriving and buzzing and like no you didn't even like the music and stuff like that like lots of things in the 90s are sort of ah we just sort of feel like we just sort of missed out yeah um, so i do look back on it like that but on the flip side um i'm young enough that my knees don't hurt <laughs> so, <laughs> i'll take what i can get um and who would be your defining figure of the 90s football wise rule fox <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no further, no further comment. No further questions <laughs> needed. Or, or his accountant brother Albert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Reese. Um, we we look forward to. Uh, I, I'm coming on your podcast. We're just sorting dates. I'm across yes. it. Yes. Yeah. I look forward to your your ideas. It will be all genetics based. I imagine it will. Do you know what? You're not going to believe this. There's going to be some nostalgia involved in it. <laughs> oh, thank God for that. <laughs> thank God for that. I'll bring it across towards you. Uh, Rhys James, thank you very much. Thank you. Rhys James there. Oh, it's amazing to think that we've had it confirmed the 90s is the greatest decade. Yeah, I think it's quite life-affirming, that chat. Actually, we were lucky. Yeah, yeah because you're not going... Oh, every person sees the decade they grew up in as great. Actually, some people, yeah. younger people, who've grown up to be told the world is burning and that there's financial crises everywhere, <laughs> aren't viewing it with the rose-tinted glasses that we view our decade. Who knew? How do you feel now, Skull? Because you're obviously a, a big fan of the noughties as well. Yeah. I don't know. I think um, I think it is rubbish, but there, I think there is something in that. I mean, the heartbreak. West Ham get relegated in 2003. Euro 2004 is rubbish. Even though we've got a great team in England, are rubbish again in 2006. The Sven years and it is rubbish. But there is still there is still something there for me. I thought you came alive with the discussion of Martin Yoll as if to go. This is a decade <laughs> I want to talk about on a podcast. <laughs> they won't let me. Getting sacked at halftime is a very 90s thing to have happened. Yes. Yeah, I, I give you that. Yeah. Uh, email in if you've got 90s things that happened outside of the 90s that can beat Martin Yarl getting sacked at halftime. Okay. Um, Shall we do a quick quiz to end the show? Yeah, Let's do it. Not? The quick quiz is to celebrate the join between the, um, between the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah? At the end of... Um, this is a non-footballing quiz. I hope you don't mind. At the end of the 90s, I seem to remember, the BBC did a show where they chose the person of the century. Do you remember this? Yeah, is it the British person of the century or overall person? The greatest... Oh, yeah, it's the greatest Britain. Yeah, because I know know a bit of this. I think I'm going to be good. Well, that's fine, it'll be fun. So at the end of um, the the century, the BBC did a show uh, in which they chose the 100 greatest Britons, okay? So I want you to choose any... Of the top 10, or for bonus points, you can also have footballers. Okay? It's it's basically a take it in turns, go. Okay, Skull, if you'd like to start. I've got a good answer that the surprising, but maybe I'll keep that in my pocket. Winston Churchill. He was the top answer, yes. Michael, can you choose any of the top 10? Uh, Princess Diana. Oh, that's my, that was my one! Princess Diana was number three. Yeah. Yes. William Shakespeare. William Shakespeare, number five. I, I, when, when I give you them, I'll, I'll tell you who uh, promoted them. Mo Molum was the politician who advocated Winston Churchill. Rosie Boycott, the journalist, advocated Diana. William Shakespeare was uh, Fiona Shaw, the actress, who I don't know. Okay, it's back on you, Michael. Uh, Brunel. Oh, that was my next Brunel. answer. Number two, and rightly so, and advocated, of course. By Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> Alan Turing. Alan Turing is not in the top ten. Oh! In a huge upset, oh! can Michael claim the victory? Oh! Here we go, Michael, to win it. I've got two guesses. I'm going to go for uh, Queen Elizabeth I. First. As promoted by Michael Portillo, the seventh greatest Briton of what? all time. We have a winner. Skull arrogantly went into the quiz and failed. <laughs> Also available, Darwin, Andrew Marr, Isaac Newton, Tristram Hunt, thought, John Lennon. I thought you meant Andrew Marr was on the list. <laughs> 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 Fucking hell, that was a curveball. <laughs> yeah. 
Isaac Newton, promoted by Tristram Hunt. John Lennon, promoted by Alan Davis. Horatio Nelson, promoted by Lucy Moore. And Oliver Cromwell. Do you want to know any footballers that made the list? Um, Bobby Moore, Bobby Charlton. The highest footballer has not been named so far. Keep keep them coming. This is astonishing. Oh, uh, not Bobby Moore, not Bobby Charlton, not Gary Lineker. No. When was this, did you say 2002? 2000, 2000. Oh, David Beckham. Uh, Correct. Yeah. There you go. David Beckham. All right, this week's goodbye is courtesy of Martin Pete. Do keep them coming in. Hello at quicklykevin.com. I think we've had enough. Nigel Clough. Go, Led! Hit Led! Hit Led over the top! This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8am. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.